Hey listeners, so I'm recording this little intro part on January 24th, which is like the day before I'm going to release this. This episode was recorded on January 9th, which is important to keep in mind uh, for our following discussions. It took me a while to edit it because I've been away from my normal computer, like at home uh, over break from my college. Anyway, I don't need to go into that, but I did want to stress, like even though we say the recording date in the episode, I just wanted to stress when we recorded this because it makes what we talk about Kind of hilarious if you have been keeping up with, uh, for instance, world record news. I'm not going to say anything more about it than that. You can hear it in the episode. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure you all knew that this was recorded a while ago. Otherwise, we'd seem real dumb. I mean, we still seem real dumb. We are. But you'll see. Anyway, enjoy the episode. You know, it feels like we talked to each other just like a couple weeks ago. Wow. Does that mean we actually have a regular recording schedule? I, well, I mean, it feels like it has, but it's, I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's been like a whole year since we've talked to each other. We didn't wow. talk, we talked, last time we talked to each other was last year. Man, these years just fly by. They do. <laughs> uh, you know, 2019 for me is like, it's it's an awkward number. I feel, I feel weird. And, and like more than like, you know, you always feel weird when the year changes over and you have to like get used to writing the date on things and stuff like oh, that. Course. But 2019 seems especially weird for me. Like it's just a weird date in general. Like, is it prime? I don't know. It feels like a prime number. I don't know if it actually is, but it feels like it probably is. Um, I mean, 19 is a prime number, right? Yeah. That's probably why. And it's, I don't know, just a nine seems, well, I don't know. Other nines wouldn't be that bad, but with oh, a one it's in clearly front of it, not prime. It, the, all the digits add, add up to 12, which is divisible. Oh uh, yeah. So it's divisible by three, but it doesn't feel like it, which makes it even more weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like 2019 is just an awkward number. We should probably just skip it. What's really weird to me is that um, I like I feel like I became a conscious human being in 1999 or so, like a rough that around that area. Like it's right. I feel I like I became a human being in 1999. Yeah. <laughs> so I was eight when I was in 1999. <laughs> But I feel like that's when I started to become, like, a fully functional, conscious human being and not, like, a, just a, like, a human spawn, you know? Yeah, yeah. I Um, I totally get it. Yeah, and that's 20 years ago now. Wow. Like, the Y2, we are now in the year before the Y2K scare, 20 years later. (laughs) That is weird. That's how time works. Time is weird, Andrew. Make it stop. Well, I just want to get to 2020 because because <laughs> uh, all of the puns. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess this year I can I can say like uh like for, foresight is 2020 instead of hindsight <laughs> is 2020. <laughs> oh, that's that going to be, be great in 2021 for me to make a hindsight is 2020 joke. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to 2 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> 2021 by the way great year because it's like you're counting yep that is true yeah <laughs> what about 2345 2345 i'm gonna live that long i'm sure of it yeah yeah they're uh-huh. gonna freeze my body it'll be great <laughs> oh i was trying to figure out how that was counting i was like 45 doesn't come after 23 <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got it i figured it out <laughs> hooray <laughs> Well, welcome to the Layer by Layer podcast. By you... Layer podcast. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, I, we're I felt doing I needed three layers help. now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Isn't that what the cube is, kind of? Uh, that's true. And why don't they call it the layer by layer by layer method? <laughs> Probably the same reason everyone calls it the three by three cube, and not that's the true. three by three by three cube. Except I or do the because I'm three by three a, a... square. <laughs> we solve square puzzles. <laughs> Anyways, the we have a subreddit for talking about our show, and we really do like to hear your feedback. It's been a little light recently, and I imagine it's probably just because like holidays and New Year and stuff. But if you go to the internet.com slash reddit slash layer by layer, you could find our podcast uh, discussion forum. And yeah, tell us stuff about uh, what we say in the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, what makes you shout at your podcast <laughs> player or ju- jump and celebrate. I don't know what you do when you listen to the podcast. Probably just do an average of 100, but you know tell us well <laughs> yeah. tell us what tell us what, you, what your average of 100 was i don't know that's a good idea yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> i will do an average of 100 while we record oh my god <laughs> i don't know if, like if, if, how pleasing it would be to hear cube noises on top of what? your own cube noises i don't know i guess that's <laughs> just like going to a competition I mean, yeah really. this is this is the competition simulation part of the show <laughs> The layer-by-layer layer competition simulation. <laughs> Eight seconds. Now that'll <laughs> throw people off while they're inspecting. Um, okay, I should mention the recording date yep. rather than just talking about the year. This show was <laughs> recorded in 2019 uh, <laughs> on the 9th the ninth of the 1. The 9th that's of right. the 1. That's, that's what day it is, the 9th of the 1. Okay. Uh, that's how we say dates in 2019. The whole system's been overhauled. Oh, man, no one told me. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you probably look like an idiot if you've been saying them the normal way. Oh, does that mean we, we do 9 slash 1 slash 2019 like Europeans do? Well, yeah, and in Europe they go to 1 slash 9. Actually, oh, okay. Well, actually, we do 2019 9 1. Uh, you got to say the year first. Oh, of course, of course, just like we did in this podcast. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's it's totally sensible. So okay, 2019 is today's date, and we want to <laughs> thank Sarah for creating our logo. So check her out uh, on Instagram and stuff, uh, pastel cubes and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Shall we move in? To move in. Yep. Move I'm in. moving in with you. Um, right, yeah. Surprise. <laughs> we would probably record more podcasts if I actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> That wouldn't be weird at all. Um, However, the entire time I was there, we'd just have to sit in silence. Like, we'd be having breakfast together, <laughs> just sitting in silence, saving all of our topics. This is a problem we have where I feel like I can't talk to Andrew at all anymore because <laughs> if I talk to Andrew, I feel like we should be recording whatever we're saying. Yeah, we should just make sure whenever we talk, it's about really trivial things. <laughs> So if we go to a competition together soon, which actually might be happening soon, um, should we just like have a recording device on us at all times so that we can catch <laughs> any conversation that we have and make that into a podcast? That's actually not a bad idea. We do have phones with us. <laughs> That's true. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing, Andrew? I've been doing pretty well. I'm still in San Diego. Um, not go- quite back at school yet. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, my school doesn't start until the 22nd. Oh, that's right. That's weird. Yeah, it's a pretty long break, but it's nice. Yeah. Holy. Um, 
just yeah, been we just hanging out this week. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if everyone remembers my week one frustrations from however many episodes ago, <laughs> I'm reliving that right now. Nice. <laughs> well, I hope that goes well, and you don't have too many people shuffling around classes and whatnot. Uh, oh, I do. But <laughs> uh, <well>. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I had to reject. Um, like I think about four or five people in one class just because it was full. Hmm. I just had I to see. say bye. Sorry. <laughs> I hate doing it, but I also am like not going to willingly put more work on myself. How, how do you choose who to reject? Is it just who like signed up last? Uh, yeah, there's a waiting list order, um, mm-hmm. and I give priority to those who actually attend class. So anyone that attends immediately, they're all bumped above all the people that don't attend. I see. That makes sense. Then, that, that, yeah. <laughs> and then if people are enrolled and don't attend, I kick them out if they don't come the first week and, or, and if they don't, like, let me know that there's something going on. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Yeah. yeah it's just a, still a pain. Pro tip for anyone <laughs> out there taking kids' classes, attend them. Yeah. At least, at least attend the first week, right? Then, then, yeah. then just mail it in and don't show up, clearly. <laughs> that's, that's what everyone does, so. <laughs> Uh, I have a competition this weekend on Saturday. Hey, me too. Nice. Where's yours? Here in Portland. I'm organizing it. Oh, slash cool. delegating it. What events have you got going on? Oh, nothing good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's blind, which is moderately interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and two through four, six and pyraminks. So, okay. Very basic comp, but um, it's a charity competition, so I tried to have a mostly crowd-pleasing event list. That's good, yeah. To try to encourage more people to attend. And we did get 105 to register, so that's, uh, for a local comp in Portland, actually pretty high. I was really surprised. What are you doing? Uh, It's in L.A. Uh, It's a fairly standard comp. It's got a—the only event I'm pretty excited about is Megaminx. Uh, yeah. Just because I haven't really practiced Megaminx since my last Mega Comp, mm-hmm. but that one, I don't know. I've, I'd never done it in competition before that. And so even though I'd been practicing and I'd gotten pretty good, um, I, I, I don't know. It's like, it was awkward using the stack mat and stuff because I don't <laughs> have a stack mat to practice with at home. It's broken. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like the whole table situation, all that was awkward. And I kind of got used to it as the average went on, but my early solves ruined it. So I just want to get like an average that's actually reflective of at least somewhere close to how good I am at the event, which Fair is around enough. like like sub one thirty at least. Okay, um, so you're you're in my ballpark then. Yeah, you, I got like one. I got a one eighteen single or something in my last average, and then a bunch of one forty solves. So ugh, <laughs> it was gross. kind of all over the place. Yeah, um, if I'm not, I <laughs> haven't been practicing mega as much recently, but I did a lot earlier in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um and. I was much more consistent where now I'm all over the place with my solves uh, whenever I compete in it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I managed to get a PB average last weekend when I was in Texas, though. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I have no idea how that <laughs> happened. Um, <laughs> because I think I had a 140-something as my worst solve, but the average was a 123. Wow, so nice. <laughs> made sure made sure it counted, <laughs> that it, or that one didn't count. Um, yeah, I did I did a little bit of practice Um it was a while ago now, so I don't know how much it'll help. But mm-hmm. I was, I got, I was like sub one twenty five pretty consistently during that practice session, which is rare for me, um, mm-hmm. or at least it was. I don't know. Maybe I got better by not practicing. But <laughs> have you ever told you my last layer method for Mega Minx? 
No, what is it? So I, I imagine I imagine what you do is just like for look with just uh, EO, EP, CO, CP. Uh, pretty much, yeah. I use a couple little tricks I've made up and figured out and stuff, but I haven't really learned anything specific for it. Other gotcha. Than that. So I, um, I do EO, EP, and then corners. EO, okay. Just corners, because all I do is just eight move, like, pure comms to solve them uh, all directly. Okay. Yeah. Is that actually fast? <laughs> uh, it's It seems decent. I mean, the, the thing is you're combining two steps in one, and uh, generally a lot of my saws, because I know a lot of tricks to when I do um, EP to try to at least bring one corner with me, um, I can usually do that step in two comms. And, like, two comms is often better than OLL-PLL. Yeah. Or, I yeah. mean, or I mean like, I'm sorry, two-look-PLL, not OLL-PLL. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it actually, there's some bad solves with it, but I feel like uh, when compared to four-look-last-layer, it's fairly comparable. It's a little more variable, I'd say. I have some really good last-layers. And some really trash last layers. <laughs> um, but I, I, the thing is, variability is good for setting competition PBs. Yeah, that's actually that kind of relates to a topic. So maybe we should, that I put on here a while Ooh. ago. Um, so that could be a good thing to talk about today. But before we get into topics, we of course have to do follow up. So last episode, I talked about some camera stuff, uh, about recording solves and whatnot, and some cameras that I found online for like $5, right? What a great deal. Uh, Yeah, it turns out that wasn't quite accurate. They were actually more expensive, uh, and it was just a misleading like uh, sale price thing on the internet, how those, you know, how those go. Yeah, so because I immediately, when the podcast was over, was fairly interested in this and started looking into those cameras and to see like how much it would cost me to get a whole set. Because I'm personally not super... I don't feel like it's totally necessary to have cameras at competitions, but it's a nice thing to have it's, if it's not prohibitively expensive. But when I looked into it, um, the $5 price that it lists is like the cheapest option in their drop-down menu, and the cheapest option was SD card only. So it's like literally just an SD card, no camera. Yes. Right. So I think the camera was like eight or nine dollars. It did come with an SD card, though. Yeah. Um, so it's still it wasn't a ton more. Yeah. But it was but, more expensive than we thought. <laughs> but that's the problem with that, though, is um, even if you assume now nine dollars, I looked more into the cameras myself um, and found that their battery life is absolute trash. Yeah, so you need to have them plugged in, right? Yes, you would need to have those things plugged in. And granted, some venues do have the luxury of easily being able to like plug things like right underneath the tables. I rarely work with venues that have that luxury. Yeah. Um, so it's essentially what you would need to do is buy battery packs for any camera that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you in or I mean. I, I personally really dislike running extension cords all over the place at competitions. I know yeah. a lot of places do it, but um, it's a for me a pain and it's a pain really to just set up and I mean you have to essentially tape everything down so that nobody trips on them uh, and breaks anything because <laughs> I've had some stuff yeah. broken from people tripping on wires all the time. We um, usually have extension cords all over the place at the comps out here. Mm-hmm. But also adding more things to plug into them would add just another layer of complication. So right, that's yeah. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I feel like on the cameras, the conclusion is it's it's not super expensive still. Right. Uh, like, even if you were to buy, like, battery packs for every camera, it wouldn't drive up the price an insane amount, but it would add a lot of extra maintenance to the whole process. Right, because now you have to charge, like, 10 battery packs before every competition. Yeah. Um, um, that's not easy to do. It still might be something I would might look into doing, just as, like, a proof of concept to see how it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not quite as appealing as it first seemed. Yeah, I'm... I'm still of the opinion that, yeah, cameras are nice, but uh, it's not work that I personally am willing to do unless I am required to do so. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, it's such a, that's a lot of extra work to put on, on my shoulders for doing competitions that I barely have the bandwidth to do what I'm currently doing for the WCA and Cubing mm-hmm. USA. So I'm not particularly interested in getting whole camera setups myself but i do agree that long term it's definitely something that would be nice but i am not particularly i just i just i think it's it seems like a pressing issue because of the three by three world record that just happened and that we had to use security camera footage Mm -hmm. to record the world record um but i don't know for the most part i feel like um when I think of people in my area that are world class, um, and have the chance to break anything meaningful in this in my region, they always record all their solves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I do agree that it would help in resol- in some cases for resolving incidents, but uh, at the same time, um, when I think back of it, in dealing with incidents, there are only a handful of times that I really, really wish that I had camera footage to check. It's it's very seldom that I feel like it's something that I really wish that we had. For the most part, um, like there are cases where it's like, yeah, it would be nice to see video, but I can usually figure out how to best rule the case when talking to the judge. Yeah, I, yeah, that's kind of my stance is that um, I'm not gonna throw down a ton of money on it until I feel like it ne- it's something that's required to be done <laughs> upon me because yeah. I don't see it for me personally as a giant must do sort of thing. Yeah, I think I over I'm agree for the most part since uh it would add a good amount of work and it is more expensive. I still might do it though, just to see. Yeah. It. Yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting to see as a proof of concept so that uh cuz I don't I guess the the main thing is I don't I I am personally not interested in being the like among the first people to try this. Yeah, out. yeah. <laughs> that's that's another major thing too. All right, so I teased it in our check-in there. Um, but it's something I've wanted to talk about for a w- long time, and I'm right. curious to get your take on it. It's the okay. idea of optimizing your solves to get either... Well, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can either optimize your solves to get a good single, or optimize your solves to get better than, aver- like better than average averages <laughs> occasionally. Um, yeah, it's so, kind of what I was talking about before. Yeah, so um, the reason I thought about this is because since I did my whole thing with ZZCT for a while, and people have asked me about that a lot, um, the main thing I realized from that was that every once in a while, you could just like do LSLL in one look, which is mm-hmm. really cool. And yeah. it wasn't super common, but it was way more common than you would get with any other method. Um, mm-hmm. So... There's no way you can consistently, like, like that would never get you a good average. You're never going to get an average full of LSLL one looks. 
but you can get a good single with it, like a really good single with it. So it kind of it made me think about like, is it possible to optimize methods so that you can get a good single and go for a world record single, or should you be optimizing your methods if you care about like breaking your PR? Should you be optimizing your methods to make it so that it's easier to break your PR when you get lucky? Right. Sort of like m- making your averages less or maybe even making your average worse mm-hmm. but sort of raising the the but lowering the the uh yeah but <laughs> but increasing the capacity for luck on your solve to make yes. a bigger difference yeah this is this reminds me a lot of like the bias the bias variance trade-off in statistics what's that uh it's basically when you're when you're talking about some sort of estimation technique imagine imagine that like you're throwing darts at a dartboard Mm-hmm. What often happens in statistics is that you can choose between something that's going to be very low variability, like will hit the same spot on that dartboard every single time, but it's never going to be the bullseye. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could then come up with some sort of estimation technique, like something that you could try to aim at the whatever you're trying to estimate. Um, where now you're centered on the bullseye, but there's greater variability. Or even I feel like in this example, maybe it's like. You're centered around some other point, but every once in a while you can still hit the bullseye because you're varying from that other point. Right. And yeah, <laughs> now we're trying to find the balance between those right now. Yeah. In a sense. <laughs> yeah, because I, thinking about the Megaminx method that I was talking about before, like it's not a great, great uh, jump in times when I get like an easy LL, but like getting, I do get like one com corner cases sometimes. Mm-hmm. And those are great solves. Yeah. Um, and I don't generally bomb solves, but I do have occasional bomb out sort of solves. And uh, my averages in Mega Minx, kind of as a result, sometimes when I get like a couple terrible solves, my average sucks. Mm-hmm. But I get the opportunities for like, you know, really good, at, for at least my skill level and what the time I've put into Mega Minx, I get some pretty good uh, averages if I get like a couple really lucky solves in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, granted, this is not a great case because I'm using like general, like a beginner-ish method on Mega Minx. So, um, but it, but it still can be kind of like if you if you just want to break your PR, mm-hmm. then you switching to a slightly faster but more consistent method wouldn't necessarily make you more likely to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, if yeah, if the goal is just like probability of breaking PRs, then you know you want something that has a higher probability of breaking your PR. It doesn't matter what the average is. You just want mm-hmm. it to have a high enough variability so that you can break it that more often. Yeah. Like you could average really bad, but if your method somehow has the possibility of getting really lucky and like saving you half of your solve or something, then, yeah. then you could theoretically do really well, even if you're nowhere close to at that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's also something I sort of thought about with other algorithm sets, like for instance, learning COLL or something. That increases your probability of a PLL skip to 1 in 12. And I, this isn't a great example because COLL algorithms tend to be basically just as fast as the normal uh, OLL algorithms. But like you could have an ALG set where you make it so that you get skips more often, but your every ALG is slightly less fast. So that'll get you much better singles more often, mm-hmm. but won't really help your average. You know what, this kind of reminds me of kind of back in the day when Matt's Valk and Felix Zemdegs were battling out world record single a bit. Mm-hmm. Because um, like five, six years ago, 
generally never Mats and Felix like show down in a competition. Felix would win almost every time. Yeah. But in terms of singles, they were neck and neck in like in terms of their records. And um at the time, um I'm not terribly familiar with like advanced three by three methods, so I might be uh wrong, but I believe it was partially due to his use of VLS and that uh, basically allowed him to get a lot of crazy skip solves every once in a while. Didn't he also more recently the like 4.73 or 4.74 or whatever mm-hmm. that he got, which was the world record? I believe that was a VLS with a PLL skip. So basically one look. Yes. Last I think that's plus right. last layer. Yes. Yeah. That sounds familiar. So yeah, so that's a, actually a really great example of this where, um, you know, I, he, Mats has kind of like really adjusted his method so that he could fish for world record singles in 3x3, yeah. three three, which is honestly a great strategy because uh, <laughs> to some extent, those are fairly lucrative records and a lot yeah. of media attention comes along with those. Right. And, and I think it's also especially something that people might want to start doing now that the world record is so crazy low. Right. Um, like, it's really hard to beat that with just an average solve, like, no matter how well you execute it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to beat a 3.4, I always forget the last digit. Um, seven. <laughs> seven. 3.47. Um, you want to know why, why I remember this so clearly now? Why do you remember it? <laughs> we did a, a, an escape room in Vegas. Uh-huh. And the last uh, escape code was 347. Oh, Nice. Yep, and we were all like, oh my god, it's the 3x3 three three record. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly snapped a picture of it, but then I realized, like, oh crap, you can't take pictures of escape rooms. <laughs> oh yeah, spoil it for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, go to this escape room, the last code's 347. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, did we just ruin it? <laughs> oh, they don't know which one I'm Yeah, don't tell about. them which one it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's in Vegas, though, so... Well, that really narrows it down. <laughs> yeah, just when you go to an escape room in Vegas, just plug 347 into every three-digit lock that you have. <laughs> nice. I don't know if I really had many more thoughts on the topic. I just thought it was something interesting to bring up. Yeah, and I'm curious if that's what, um, if this is something that it, very top-level cubers are already doing. It, I'm not sure if Matt was doing it intentionally, or if it just he was learning things, and the things that he learned allowed him to get lucky singles more often than yeah. others at his speed but i'd be curious to hear from you know top level solvers if this is something that they've considered or if they've learned things with the intent of sort of increasing the variability of their solves to hope for a lucky case it's kind of the opposite of like learning zbll or something yeah. learning zbll <laughs> is you're going to improve all of your solves but also make them very consistent because you're not because you're basically like well or getting inconsistent because you forget that zbll well, well that's true but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like if you don't even try to recognize zbll then you can recognize faster and just go with your algorithm and if you get a skip it'll be better for you than if you had that exact same case and you took the time to recognize it specifically right right so andrew yeah what world record do you think is going to stand the longest? I think I have an answer to this question already, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. I have a couple of thoughts. For a long time, I would have said the one-handed single, but I think people are finally getting close to that. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like that's actually due to be beaten any day now. Three by three single is also a tempting one to pick because it's just really low. I think it's also the most competed in an event. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it has the most chances to be broken, theoretically. Yeah, I think that's the. I think that's such a trap answer. I think everyone is overstating how hard that is to break. It's I, hard I don't to break. Know. I think I it's overstated know. though. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm tempted to say three by three single. Um, why, why don't you give me your answer while I think more about what my answer is? Oh, uh, my my answer without a doubt is fewest moves single. Ah. Uh... Okay. Like, no question. Fewest moves single. So, wait, by the wording of the question, it's what current world record will stand the longest? Yes. And And I think it will be tied. I think that there will will be records that may stand longer, and this one will get tied before it. Yeah. But I think that it's such a slam dunk that a 17 is going to take forever to happen. Hmm. Of course, it could happen. I could be wrong. Like I recognize that this pick could be wrong, but I, um, if I were a be- if I were a gambling man, I would. This is probably easy money for me. My only thought against that is I feel like there has been an explosion of interest in FMC recently. That's definitely true, but I still think that seventeens are still incredibly rare when you consider that. Um, a decent chunk of scrambles don't even have 17s. Yeah, that's true. I- I'm still just a little bit hesitant to to pick that. I feel like the fact that Chad got an 18 mm-hmm. shows, like, like that's just a result of there being way more FMC competed in. Like, someone was bound to get it eventually. And, and we saw so many more 19s recently as well. And I feel like I see 20s all the time. So I'm looking at uh, the distribution on cube20.org right now, and I'm just kind of doing mental math-ish or so on this. There are roughly less than a third of scrambles that don't have 18s, or that don't have 17s. Okay, so about two-thirds of scrambles, it's possible. Oh, sorry, sorry, I said that backwards. Only a third of scrambles roughly have... Oh, uh, okay. And it's actually... It's probably even less than that. If I'm... I'm I, there's so many giant numbers here so i'm just kind of doing rough <laughs> head calculations here but yeah it's it's a little it appears to be a little less than a third of scramble states that have 17s available okay that's true that's huge yeah so i guess then you have to factor that in are three times more people competing in fmc yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know just the thing too is that um I mean, what I was surprised with with Chad's scramble is that he found, the like, 18 was optimal on that scramble. Yeah. Um, generally, I mean, this isn't always true, um, but if a scramble is, like, if you have a scramble that's optimal 18 versus a scramble that's optimal 17, um, not surely, but most probably, there are many, many, many more 18 move solutions on... And, and granted, there's up to, like, symmetries. You could probably come up with an infinite number of ways to do it, too. Um, <laughs> but there's, in terms of human findability, there's many more ways to land on an 18 on a 17-move scramble than on an 18-move scramble. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I know it's true, but... Um... Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was really impressive to me that that was an 18-move optimal scramble. When I heard an 18 happened, I assumed it must have been a 17 or 16 scramble. Yeah. All right. You're starting to pull me to your to your, to your point of view on this one. Yeah. <laughs> now, if we take out the, the 
what if we just take out the the like what if we say like tying the record means that it like it's it okay it, like what if we include records that get tied or broken yeah okay in that case i definitely don't think it's fmc because i think an 18 is very doable it's like most scrambles i think most scrambles are 18 optimal or or less Mm -hmm. um and just with the number of people competing now and the number of people getting really good um Mm -hmm. i think is higher than ever by a lot so i wouldn't be surprised to see an 18 18 tied soon so if we're ruling that out then i i'm between either three by three single i think or maybe, oh, and this one, I, I'm not in, tu- in tune enough with the multi-blind community these days, but I'm tempted to say multi-blind. Yeah, um, you should ask Graham what his thoughts are on that. Uh, <laughs> but um, another one that I think would be up for consideration um, is two by two single. I would have said that, but I've seen some polls recently on Facebook, and everyone seems to think that that one's actually pretty likely to be broken. Hmm. Or at least that's what it seemed to me, and I figure they know more than I do, maybe. Yeah. It just, when you consider, like, just the stack map portion of that solve, like, I mean, I guess if, like, a sledge comes up again as a scramble, Mm -hmm. that it's in the right hands definitely could be beaten. So, Mm -hmm. it's definitely definitely a dark horse in the race, just because, uh, you know, it, it definitely takes you know, the stars to align for something to happen. Like, you need the the right scramble, the right person, and them to execute perfectly. Um, so the stars definitely have to align for that one to get beaten, but, like, it's also one that, like, literally, it could be broken this weekend. Yeah, it's kind of... It's one of those of... It could be done anytime. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, just... it, but it also could never get broken for another few years. Yeah. I feel like multi-blank is kind of the same way, though. Um, yeah. Because it's like... Anyone who's attempting, like, 49-plus cubes could beat it, because anyone who's attempting that is capable of it, mm-hmm. um, most likely, unless they're weird um, and just attempting something they can't do at all. Um, <laughs> so anyone who's attempting something like that is capable of it. Right. But we've talked before about how, how difficult, how much of, like, just a crapshoot multi-blind accuracy is at times. Yeah, for sure. So that's another wait. one where I feel like it could be broken any time, but also probably won't be. Wait, 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 wait. I've got one that we need to consider. Go for it. Feet single. Oh. <laughs> well, I actually... I, mean... I, I think that if it stands for a year, you've got a good chance of being correct, but I don't think the feet single will stand that's, for a yeah, year. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the... <laughs> The only reason I say that is because, uh, just by technicality, if it makes it through this year, <laughs> then it is the correct answer. Yeah. Um, wow. But it has yeah. to make it through the year, which I'm not confident that it would. I, yeah. Uh, but because an, of the be time limit, fact. I'd say it's definitely a competitor. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, wow. We should start like taking bets and give odds yeah. for everything. <laughs> Do, should we? Yeah. Should we set up odds for all of these? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think that we honestly, like, can't even accept bets for fewest moves if we don't consider ties. Right, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's like, off the table for betting because it's too much of a slam dunk. Or um, we could just make it so that we're talking about averages only. Get rid of singles. Oh, like, we only place bets on which average will stand longest? Yeah, that's another interesting question. Which average will stand the longest? Ooh, yeah, just, I mean, so many of the things we've 
thrown out there have all been singles. Yeah, I think it's easier to conceive of a single standing for a long time because most of the singles are really lucky. Right, right. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, but averages, yeah, averages seem to increment down, which makes it yeah. really hard to pick. Um, oof. I think two by two average is a contender, maybe? I think so, I yeah. One, two, one definitely takes a ridiculously good scramble set. Yeah, it takes good scrambles, good solver and yeah. like very good performance which is difficult ones that i would definitely throw out right away or like blind and, and fewest moves yeah um max is literally gonna break the average record any day now it feels like i i would say three by three isn't a good bet because no i definitely agree three by three is not a good bet yeah we know there are people very capable of beating it mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i'd say any n by n really is kind of out except for two by two Yes, I would agree with that statement, too. Just anything where Max Park is uh, grinding, I don't think is a good bet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the problem is with any event, you can kind of think of, like, a person who Mm -hmm. is currently practicing it and getting better Mm -hmm. and currently has the world record. (laughs) Like, What about clock average? How do we feel about that one? I don't know anything about the event, to be honest. And that's kind of how I feel a little bit, too, but... um... I mean, like, a mid-four average seems incredibly hard to beat. Mm. Um, yeah, I least, just, I don't know enough. Yeah, I, I, I honestly am too removed from the event to really have a good opinion on that one, but um, I'm kind of curious to see what the top um, 100 singles even are currently right now. Mm-hmm. Or 100, yeah, one, top 100 clock results. Oh, yeah, like, how many of the top... 100 results are in that average (laughs) yes um so the average is four five six um four five six there have been 44 clock solves ever that have been under four five okay that's a good contender then (laughs) yeah (laughs) um granted you know clock is not held that often so just raw counts are not the greatest indicator for an event that doesn't get held as often but like this being not held as often also means it won't be broken as often right so uh, hard to say but i i think that's definitely a a contender up there for Mm -hmm. average that would stand the longest i'd be curious to hear our listeners thoughts as well yeah Um, if people have more expertise in this um yeah (laughs) definitely be interesting because yeah i'm kind of i'm just kind of i like clock seemed weird to me or definitely seemed very good to me it's hard for me to know exactly. Is there any other event worth forgetting? <laughs> like Pura or Skube or something? Pura makes us pretty dang good right now. It is. Um, and there's basically only one person, I think, who does those kind of results. Right. As far as I'm aware, I might might be wrong, but that Taimon does seem like miles ahead of anybody else. Skube, I think, is too competitive in Poland. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for that one to stand i think a lot of people were surprised that skube wasn't broken last year yeah i yeah i definitely agree with that one i mean 203 is definitely good but it's also it's also there's a lot of people who are close to the world record level currently Mm -hmm. and then there's square one and this one i really don't know much about i i think that there are a lot of people who well what is it at right now 673 yeah, that's good, but I think that I think that, that event is still being heavily developed. 
Yeah, I mean, CSP, I mean, it's not the newest thing, but it's still relatively new, and um, there's still a lot of world-class people that, I've, at least I, I think there's a decent number of world-class people that don't use it, but they're s- slowly slipping out of world-class levels. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you also, so the, the, the guy from Brazil that got it recently didn't really beat the current world record by that great a margin either. Mm-hmm. Which makes it seem like that that one has potential to be broken again for sure. Yeah, I if if I were, I think I'm split between clock and two by two on this one. I'm pretty sure I'd go with clock. Well, oh, it's so hard. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'd go with hard. clock. I'd go with clock because two by two lucky singles happen more often than clock lucky singles, just based on those numbers you said. Uh, yeah, but the 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 thing is like just two by two is held so much more than clock is but that so... means it's more likely to be be broken uh, that's true i mean that's <laughs> true it just it also means that my numbers just might be skewed from how often the event is even held and that there yeah, but might I, but be I people think, who but that same skew i think affects how likely the record is to be broken. yeah yeah it goes hand in hand for sure uh and the other thing too about two by two is that the good singles that you see are often so much better than every other solve right Whenever you see like a four or a five mover in an average, they're leaps and bounds better than any of the other solves in the average. Mm-hmm. So I think that looking at how many singles are better than the world record average or how many singles that have ever happened are better than world record average is not a great measure when comparing two by two and clock. That's definitely true. Because at least the luckiness of a clock scramble is not like exponentially better. Like luck doesn't increase and all of a sudden like the times fall off a cliff yeah <laughs> um every like luck and clock is basically missing one of the 14 maximum moves you would do mm-hmm. so it's a very just like linear scale of luck really at least more linear not perfectly but well is it i don't i'd have to think about that more <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i think i might actually go with two by two all right well i'm gonna put my bet on clock are you gonna Alrighty. lock that in officially so that we can we can find yeah. out? Well, Should it's we, gonna be it's gonna be really hard to track that, but I guess we can just look back and say like what records have stood since January 9th of twenty nineteen. Yeah, we might we maybe we just take like a screenshot of all the current records. Yeah, we can do like and, a uh, yearly check in. <laughs> yeah, yearly yearly check in on this. I mean, or check in when clock or two by two average gets broken. That's that's probably a better idea. Yeah. We could both be wrong though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, we can even like do like a, a check-in to see like whenever uh any of the current records that we have on our board gets broken. Yeah. To, to see like how many of them are left in the race from okay. at this point in time. Cool. Okay, listeners, place your bets as well. We'll see who wins. Okay. I mean, technically the listeners have a slight advantage over us. Because they're in the future. They are in the future, and we they're going to get more information than we do, so you're all cheating, clearly. Yes, and if we lose to you, it's not our fault. Yep. Well, <laughs> as long as it doesn't, like, break, anything breaks in, the ne- in like, the next weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, it probably won't affect things too much, because most likely anything, any records that do break are also likely ones that we knew were likely to break soon, so. Yeah, yeah. We'll eat. We'll see if I eat my words after this weekend. <laughs> All right, it's time for a little bit of talk about YouTube. YouTube. So we have a couple things here. I first I want to address a Reddit comment we got. 
okay. um, which was seal underscore cs asking me why i'm not like doing stuff on youtube recently mm-hmm. and i don't have a great answer to be honest other than that i'm finding podcasting more interesting and you know working on other projects like my board game and in la where i'm going to school i don't know as many people and I, it's harder to film stuff in la like i'm just in a studio apartment rather than my house in san diego where i've got a backyard and all these rooms that i mean i have other people living here but they aren't always using all the rooms so right. i've just a lot more space here um to record and film stuff so it's harder to find the time and the people and the space to make youtube videos and that's about it so so it's interesting because um I went to PodCon a year ago, and and actually, are you going this year? No, oh. uh, it's just maybe next year. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I knew it was it's something you were considering. I wanted to go, but it's just, I don't know. It seemed like a lot of, it's uh, I, I didn't feel like I have to go. Fair like, enough. Um, I felt like that for a while when my YouTube channel was, like I was getting really into it, it felt more like I got more benefit out of VidCon. PodCon, mm-hmm. I'd just be going like for fun which I want right. to do, but it doesn't, I, I can't justify it as well. <laughs> That's fair. But anyway, so when I went to PodCon last year, and granted, I did not have a podcast at the time, and I was just going for fun, because it's in Seattle, which is only three hours away from me. Uh, we heard a lot of people kind of talking, because it was, it was the first PodCon in mm-hmm. late 2017, and everyone was kind of had this feeling of like podcasts kind of being the new wave of, uh, you know, homebrew media sort of thing um and it it, a year later that's definitely proven to be true uh definitely more so than it was before and um the green brothers especially i remember them having a talk about how they felt like um podcasting now feels like what youtube felt like in like 2007 Mm -hmm. um where it's this new wild west of uh content on the internet and everyone's still trying to figure it out, and it feels fun and new and special. So, um, I don't know. It remi- it kind of uh, seems to jive with what uh, your uh, how, kind of your interests also kind of lying in podcasting rather than YouTube. Yeah, I'm. I just uh, I've been enjoying listening to podcasts a lot more than watching YouTube lately. So, mm-hmm. as a result, I also like making them more because yeah, that's what I'm. In, that's what I'm into at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm working on other podcast stuff, too, behind the scenes, um, like some more, you know, comedy kind of stuff. Um, like also new, sim- new podcasts? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it because I have no idea what it's going to turn into. Like, I recorded a pilot episode of a thing with one of my friends um, that we're going to, that we're going to, I'm going to edit up and see if it's any good before we decide if we want to do more of it. Um, <laughs> Sounds exciting. Yeah. So that's just, that's I'm having much more fun experimenting with podcasts than YouTube. You there? Hello. Oh hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just felt like a natural ending, so I just kind of. Um, we didn't talk about YouTube premieres though. Oh, I guess yeah, we should have segued. I had that idea too to group them together, and I just yeah, like eh, let it let it die, let it die. <laughs> uh. Uh, so speaking of YouTube, um, let it die, let it die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> uh, YouTube introduced this new feature. 
mm-hmm. um, YouTube premieres where like someone can release a video and then force everyone to watch it at the same time. So I might be wrong about this, but I think that was a Twitch thing first. Was it? Like Twitch yes. had premieres of videos? Yeah. So it was because the whole thing about Twitch is, you know, there's a lot of like, there's big communities around the live chat. Right. That they have on their streams. And um, streamers often would have big, uh, you know, things they'd be working on that wouldn't be like a live content sort of thing but like a production that they want to show with their community live mm-hmm. so i think that was kind of the motivation of where it started on twitch and i think I, it, I i might be wrong on the timeline but i think it was something that exists on twitch before youtube copied it I, did it does it exist like formally on twitch formally on twitch or does yes. okay yeah i remember it being an option like all, all i've i see i saw it on twitch almost a year ago for the first time Okay, yeah, it probably was on Twitch before YouTube. It, it sort of seems to me like YouTube trying to, like, get that feeling of a live show on YouTube and have right. that kind of more engaged community, which, of course, is probably better for ads and stuff. Yeah, I think that's one thing that YouTube has really struggled with in yeah. the past few years especially is just that, um, you know, when you pass a certain threshold of largeness for your YouTube channel, the comment section is just not a community but a total show. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's hurting them, and they're trying everything they can to combat that. But I haven't seen, like, anyone who likes YouTube premieres, so I was... Have you have you watched any YouTube premieres, or I have not. do you have an opinion? No, I've, <laughs> I haven't either. I've, yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen any of them. I mean, I, I've heard of channels doing them as a way to, like you know, interact with their community a little more to, mm-hmm. like, whenever they release a video, they just premiere it. Yeah, I've seen that too. But most of the time when I've seen that happen, all the comments are like, why did you do this? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it doesn't, it's not how people are used to interacting with YouTube videos. And I don't think it works particularly well. Um, Kevin kind of unofficially did a premiere sort of thing on his channel when he announced the Haze 7 being a thing. Mm. Um, It wasn't an official premiere. He just started a stream and just played a video. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's, you can also just do that. (laughs) Yeah, and then he, the thing is, though, he just went straight into a live stream after, so, I mean, you have the option on Twitch to upload a video and premiere it, so you can just kind of, you know, chill in the chat with your uh, community. Mm -hmm. Um, But Kevin, when he debuted The Haze almost a year ago on his uh, Twitch channel, he just started a stream with like a countdown, a video played, and then he just kind of went into stream time after that. Yeah. So, um, that that yeah. that seems like a better way to do it though, because a lot of the appeal of it being live is that like the person who is live can like react to the live chat and stuff like that. So right, if you play right. a video live and then you get to see all this feedback, and then you also have a live stream, like a normal live stream then that gives you that chance for that feedback. So it's actually, like, worth something more than just, like, a normal comment section. Um, Yeah. But I feel like if if it's just interacting with people commenting live when it first comes out, like, you can just respond to comments, like, shortly after you post the video, and it seems pretty similar. Right, exactly. Yeah, it it seems like... I think that YouTube might have been hoping that, um, like the toxic YouTube comment sections that exist out there 
um, wouldn't leak their way into like the premiere live chats, but I think it basically did. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what if that was their reasoning. I don't know where they got the idea that live chats aren't toxic, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's not it's not that you're that YouTube specifically is toxic. It's just that large <laughs> groups of people on the internet are toxic. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely seen, like, mid-sized channels, though, use them effectively. Or at least I've heard about them use... I can't remember exactly, but I've definitely, um... At least... I remember, I remember watching videos that at the end they were like, Yeah, I've started premiering my videos, and, you know, we're gonna do one at this time. And I've done it a couple times, and it was fun. Okay. Yeah. So, I, I just think that the huge channels that tend to do it, like, they're not gonna really gain any benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. And the whole point, like, I don't think that interacting with other commenters is definitely any bit worthwhile um simply because i like the the whole point of like twitch for example is that you get to interact with the streamer yeah most of the time comment like twitch which twitch chat is not interacting amongst itself usually like it does a little bit but the primary interaction that happens on twitch and with twitch chat is with the streamer themselves yeah i i think that's the point that's really missed is that live chats aren't good because they interact with themselves they're good because they interact with the thing everyone else is watching right and if you have a small enough community that like you as the creator can be in the live chat and not be completely drowned out yeah then i think it can work that makes sense but um that's that's a key point i feel like to making premieres any bit worthwhile in the regulations github lucas kind of proposed an interesting idea that i'm didn't really like at first but i'm slowly more getting behind the idea and this idea is ephemeral events uh which is a fancy way of saying temporary events it's alliterative yeah (laughs) right uh the alliterative way of saying temporary (laughs) events because you can't say temporary to vents that just doesn't make any sense temporary to never that's event backwards <laughs> oh yeah that works um so <laughs> this uh, i guess it was actually uh arnaud van galen's suggestion first but um the whole idea is that this is kind of a way maybe to try out new events without like having to necessarily commit to those events um and also to sort of always have something new to keep uh competitions fresh without having to always you know, add on to the pile of events. It like you you introduce it with, you know, the with an expiration date, so everybody knows it's going to go away eventually, and people will be sad that it will go away. Um, but like you know, going in that yes, it will go away, and that's just something you accept. Um, I think in some ways that I kind of wish that Skube was handled like this. <laughs> Because it, it, it was a fairly hasty decision to throw Skube in, it felt like, at the time. You mean, like, the second time they threw it in? Because wasn't it an event before that, or at least tracked a little bit before that? It was, uh, in, it is on the speedcubing.com database. Okay. Um, so I, I'm not sure if it was, like, a super old official event before, like, the event list was recognized. Mm-hmm. Or if it was held unofficially at an official competition after the event list was recognized. Okay. Um, and it definitely was, like, in 2012, 2013 as well, too. Yeah, I think that maybe adding Skew permanently might have been hasty. And 
the correct decision might have been to just like try it out for a couple years and then cycle in a new event and maybe add something based on community feedback. Mm-hmm. Just, I know personally for me, and I share this sentiment with a lot of people, Skube was really fun, it felt like, in the first uh, year or two of it being an event. Just because, you know, methods were being developed, um, you know, manufacturers started releasing good puzzles for that event. Like, it, it was it was a very fun event initially. And a lot of it is because, you know, the records are so easy early on. So I think that people end up... You know, people say that, like, oh, if it's going to be removed in two years, I'm not going to practice that event. But people would practice. People would farm for, like, the January world record. I don't know. I feel like the idea of having a very definite time that this will stop being an event Mm -hmm. is kind of demotivating. Especially, not necessarily, like, I think that feat being, uh, like, probably removed, that has motivated me to practice it. (laughs) <laughs> but that's a different thing because that's like there's no like formal system for it. There's no context that makes it like like if feet were added and then later removed, I don't think I would have any and and I knew it was going to be removed. I don't think I would have any motivation to practice it. Uh, so I don't know. It's just I feel like I wouldn't want to put all my all of all of this effort into something that I can't keep iterating on after a certain period. Like every event I do now um in every event i practice i know that it's like oh sure i'll throw a couple hours practice at that because it's like there will never be a time or at least probably won't be a time when i when that isn't at least helping me somewhat like i can always use that skill i gain um and just knowing that there's a definite end limit puts a lot of pressure on you to get good by that point otherwise you've wasted your time it feels like yeah and I, i think that's a fair viewpoint but um at the same time, it's very hard for us to actually know what events to add to the WCA. Yeah. Because it's like this catch-22 situation. It's like, well, we want to add like good, high-quality events that people enjoy. And it's like, well, how do we know what events they'll enjoy? Well, we can't know unless we have them at competitions. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I think that it is it, the problem it addresses is something that needs addressing but i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know if this is the way to do it yeah yeah i i I still am also very in favor of reviving an unofficial official records Mm -hmm. database yeah i I think that's still a better solution maybe you could kind of combine the two so it's like you have a bunch like you can hold whatever unofficial events you want Mm -hmm. then if they get popular enough we make them an ephemeral like bump them up to the main tier Mm-hmm. And if 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 we don't decide to keep it around, then it just drops back down to the lower tier, of then state continues to be tracked with everything else. You can still organize it if you really want to, but it's not like promoted. I, but then it's like, how do you draw that distinction? And like, is it is it is the distinction just that it's like held at worlds? I don't know. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing too is that you know if if the number of events we had currently were uh, lower. I would feel like that that would be a really cool system of like how to figure out what new events to add. Mm-hmm. Um, but I all, as it stands currently, I feel like we're very um, if we're if we're under the viewpoint that having an event means it needs to be at Worlds. I think that it's very hard to have new events. Yeah. Um, with the assumption that making an event official means it has to be at major events. So. What I'm thinking now 
is make it so that we have we can have a lot more events. We don't have to hold them all at Worlds, but then we have a sort of an ephemeral system for what's held at Worlds. So it's like we have a certain core of events, and we probably take out some events um, from that core, mm-hmm. some of the current events. We still track them. We still can have as many competitions as we want, so any community interest in them is still going to motivate most of the times you get to compete in them. Mm-hmm. You can even hold like separate world championships for that event if you want, if if it's really like popular but then at that point it's probably worth including in worlds um Mm -hmm. and then we have an ephemeral system where we bump other events up to the world's tier so you get a chance to be the world champion and that's like the thing everyone goes for um right i feel like that would work pretty well but i I just don't think that you can get rid of the event entirely at, at the end yeah, I, I'm personally very much in favor of t- like a tiered event system where um, with maybe the exception of a couple events, currently almost every event that's in the WCA is like a top tier event. Clock and feet being the only ones that I think mm. shouldn't be top tier. I, I don't know if I don't know if necessarily making it like an explicit tier system would be good because I feel like then that that implies a value judgment. Um, yeah, but I, I, think I know that... it's really hard. But that, that's why I actually kind of like that idea that I, that we just kind of came to of using worlds as the um, differentiator. So mm-hmm. it's like, rather than having formal tiers, it's like some events are held at worlds, others are not. Um, and you can read into that what you will, but other than that, the WCA doesn't like say this is a tier two event or anything. It's like, it's it's just that the only difference is what they choose to have at the world championship. Yeah, or, or continental championships yeah, too, that or too. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, and that's essentially what I'm trying to say, too, is that we have a set of events that are required to be held at Worlds mm-hmm. and set events that aren't. Whether you call those, t- like, tiers or not, yeah, um, there's I, still I, a value I, judgment that goes into what events you are going to hold at Worlds and what events you aren't requiring to be held at mm-hmm. Worlds. That's true. Um, but, like, just personally, I, I feel like it's like if, F- uh, if FMC were made a Tier 2 event, I would be offended. Um but if it you weren't held at, I like I would be. Um, oh, okay. If but if it weren't held at Worlds, I would understand that. I feel like that's the same thing though. <laughs> but I, but like if it were formally labeled by the WCA, mm-hmm. I would be like, what? No, don't do that. It's a good event. But if it's just like it's not popular enough to hold it at Worlds to justify the amount of time it takes up at Worlds, I would understand that. Yeah, I, I th- so this is another thing that I've thought about, too, is, like, trying to, um, because, like, one thing, like, with, you know, as a Nationals organizer, like, I've toyed, you know, not, like, really seriously entertained, but toyed with the idea of, you know, having, you know, two different events where we declare national champions, one that's, like, a speed-solving focused one, and one that's, like, a quiet, blind, and at fewest moves one. Yeah, that's the sort of thing you could do with, like this system i think yeah the thing that i don't really like about that though is that um by separating them into two events uh, we already have a hard enough time getting sponsors for our events Mm -hmm. but whatever like the event that doesn't have three by three added is is gonna basically have nobody that wants to like sponsor prize pools or anything like that that's true and i won 300 something dollars from Nats last year doing fewest moves. Mm-hmm. 
to say I'm personally interested is probably <laughs> a, a true statement. But um, I think that there'd be a lot of people like in blind communities that would be upset at the fact that um, their event is, you know, out now excluded from the big event that has three by three. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, prize money just evaporated for for all of them. Right. So that, well, I definitely like the idea in practice. Like if somehow we could keep the competitiveness and like the, the stakes as high for the different groups of events in practice, I don't think there's any way we can do that. Yeah. Huh. I don't know what the solution is, but I don't feel like ephemeral events exactly as it currently is. Mm-hmm. has been proposed i don't think that's the right way to do it but i don't know what is <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean that's why it's hard to figure out how to change the status quo with this right now right <laughs> um everyone's got a lot of different ideas that have very obvious pros and very obvious cons yeah <laughs> i think that the lowest risk thing though is just an a unofficial official results database yeah I and i mean that ef- ephemeral be- events um also is pretty low risk as long as you don't like make any current events of emerald <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 if, if there's nothing like bad about doing it like some people might just be like why yeah <laughs> like <laughs> they might feel that there's no point in doing the event but it also doesn't affect their like it, it's just something new they just can ignore it if they yeah. don't like the fact that the event is going away yeah and it's very clearly set out at the start what it is so no one could be upset about <laughs> when no one can be yeah. A, yeah yeah so, so I, I mean actually now i feel like it might be worth trying because you never know maybe it'll work out way better and everyone will really like it but <laughs> yeah i really feel like the record like the the early record chase i personally found that really fun when skew was an event mm-hmm. not that i was like pushing world records i mean i got top like 30 or 40 at one point and i was second in the world in skew single i think at one point mm-hmm <laughs> Second or third, I can't remember. Um, But, you know, I got close. (laughs) (laughs) Unexpectedly. And, um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of fun to having that kind of, you know, fresh event record push. Yeah. Uh, I'd be interested. uh, Now I'm feeling, I'm feeling like we should try it. I don't think it's perfect, but we should yeah, try it. See, see, this is the exact feeling <laughs> I had about this. Like, initially, I was like, no, this is stupid. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, this is actually not a bad idea. <laughs> well, I never said it's not a bad idea. I just said it's worth trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some bad okay. ideas are worth trying. <laughs> okay, fair. It's a bad idea with no potential risks. Right. It's a bad idea with no downsides. Wait, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you understand what a bad idea is. <laughs> well, speaking of bad ideas, it's time for the Martin Eggdoll of the day. <laughs> Perfect. My favorite bad idea segment. <laughs> um, today, I want to talk to you about some of Rank's. Okay. We know that Martin Eggdoll is at the top of it, right? Oh, obviously. But did you know that he is almost uh, half... His his sum of ranks is almost half of the next person's sum of ranks. Single or average? For average. For average, okay. Yeah. How and I know that single? you actually did know this because you're the one who told me about it. Uh, for, <laughs> for single, it's slightly worse. Um, okay. For average, I think he's like 12 off or something. Single, he's like a couple hundred off. 
Yeah. So for what the third or fourth week now, we really know how dominant this guy is. Yeah. And also, <laughs> if you were to get rid of his feet, sing- his feet score, which might happen soon, um, <laughs> that solidly puts him into half of the score of the next person. Well, assuming that nobody else significantly oh, yeah. jumps up that by might, removing feet. I don't know how Felix would do after that. He'd jump up a lot, but yeah. not, en- not enough due to his skewed single or skewed average at the moment. Ah. Uh, See, Skube a darn skewed event getting added <laughs> in 2014. Yeah, should have been ephemeral. <laughs> should have been ephemeral. We wouldn't have to worry about it now. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's that's what I wanted to tell you about Martin Egdol today. <laughs> that Woo! he'll be even better when feet gets removed. Scary. Too scary, five me. So let's move into the reg of the day, then. The reg of the day is actually based on a discussion that I had with Jay Park in Texas. I went to a competition in Texas last week, and if you didn't know, it was pretty fun. I, I had a good time. Got another decent FMC mean to my to my name. Oh, what was it? I actually didn't see that. Uh, it was 27.33. Okay, yeah, not bad. Yeah, it felt like pretty decent performance, um, considering the third scramble I thought was literal trash. Mm, yeah. Just throw it away. Um, I felt lucky to get a 30 on it. <laughs> um, but somebody else that's better than me will probably do it and show me that I'm stupid. So whatever. Um, <laughs> but anyways, um, Texas was fun. Lauren, for some reason, um, has always had like a dream to go to Texas. Like when she was younger. And I think that like young Lauren didn't realize how unvegetarian friendly uh, <laughs> Texas is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was a that was a common theme of the trip. So, uh, <laughs> shout outs to Lauren and your uh, not eat eating meatness. Um, <laughs> anyways, reg of the day. That's what we were doing. Oh yeah, um, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot there were regs to be talking about. Um, so the reg of the day I want to talk about um, is ten f four. Ten f four. Yeah. Ten f four. Okay, take a square one, Andrew. Oh, wait, before before oh, we. I don't have one. Okay, well, um, take a square one, one in your mind. And got it. The, the the listeners will pretend there's a square one in your hands. Uh-huh. Okay, I've got um, it right here. L- listen, you can hear it. So perform a UD move, essentially, on it. Okay. Is that a plus two or DNF, do you think? Well, considering I did that on a three by three instead of a square one, it feels like a <laughs> DNF. <laughs> you know your feeling is definitely a good one um when you read 10f4 though it's very ambiguous about this like reading the regulation it says for the limits of acceptable misalignment for puzzles square Mm -hmm. one at most 45 degrees you or you slash d or 90 degrees hmm it just says you slash d so it's it's whether it's it's a slash meaning or or slash meaning and yeah like it's very ambiguous and there is a clear like a uh, clarification in the guidelines that makes it clear that Mm -hmm. both is considered two moves Mm -hmm. well actually i don't it's at least it's considered a dnf at least right but um i find it weird that that is something that is in the guidelines because I feel like if you're reading the regulations, one could read that and come away with immediately without even feeling like they need clarification that doing a U and D move or a three, uh, three, three move on square one is one move away. 
and thus a plus two. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because even if you look um, in regulation um, 12C, which defines the notation, it says that the metric for square one counts X comma Y as one move. Typically, you think of, you know, misalignment penalties as how many moves does it yeah, take to right. get to the solved state. So it's kind of weird because if you don't read the regulations, or sorry, if you don't read the guidelines, you could feel like you might read the regulations and f- be fairly convinced that that's a plus two and not a DNF. Yeah, I, but the I mean, guidelines I think that, clarifies it. I think that anyone with like any other experience with stuff happening in the WCA would have the correct feeling about that, right? Like, like that doesn't feel like a plus two. Yeah. Um. Can you read the regulation again? Sure. It says that. Um, I was going to look it up, but then I re- realized our listeners can't do that, so I might as well <laughs> have you repeat it. <laughs> okay. So the regulation says that. Um, limits of acceptable misalignment for puzzles, square one at most 45 degrees U slash D or 90 degrees slash. So that doesn't actually say anything about plus twos, does it? That's just about what is solved. Yeah, what's the acceptable misalignments? So my read on that then is that because if you had U and D both misaligned by less than 45, then that is solved. And I feel like that's all that's saying. Like, it doesn't say anything about a plus two. It, there, so the um, previous regulation, though, will says 10E says a puzzle is solved when all colored parts are reassembled and all parts are aligned within the limit specified below. Mm, okay. And it says if one move is required, the puzzle is considered solved with a time penalty. Mm, okay. So it's, it's related in there, and then it just defines, like, what is an acceptable misalignment? I see. And it talks about how many moves are required. Huh. Okay. Well. Yeah. It, it's weird because I feel like it's weird that this guideline feels very crucial and it's not in the regulations. Yeah. I should probably submit that to the GitHub. Yeah. I don't know. I, the thing is, I, when I was WRC leader, I feel like I had to deal with square one stuff being unclear mm-hmm. at one point because we were rewriting something and by rewriting one part, it made, like, square one become very unclear because it depended on a regulation that we were rewriting. Mm. So I feel like that that clarification actually might have been my fix for it. So, who <laughs> me? Because uh, it confused Jay Park this weekend when we were talking about this. I feel like the, the way to fix it is just to replace the slash with or. Sorry, replace the slash with what? Or, the word or, O-R. Yeah, but then when then there's also the interpretation of if you put or there, like U or D, is that inclusive or exclusive or? Oh yeah, that's true. Or isn't more <laughs> or is yeah, not more okay. clear. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the, then it's like you can you can have a, an you know misalignment on, or like you know you can you can adjust U or D and it's fine. <laughs> you know, like it's it it's still not very clear. Um, it needs, you know, more than just like changing the slash to an or or an and or whatever. Uh, Just replace the whole regulation with, uh, if it's a slash, it's 180 degrees. Otherwise, you know what to do. (laughs) Square one. Just think of it like a three by three. Wait, hold on. A slash is 180? A slash is up to 90 degrees i mean oh, okay. it's a it's a 180 oh, right. degree turn yes it's up to 90 degrees is what's allowed yeah. okay right yeah that makes sense 
Um, yeah, I mean, basically what we want to write down here with like in imprecise terms is square one can be up to 90 degrees on the slash. The rest of it, just think of it like a three by three. Yeah, <laughs> just write that. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, that's a, a practically what we want it to say, but okay, it's okay. hard to do that. I've got it. Okay. Place a three by three next to the square one. Turn a layer of the, <laughs> turn the layers of the three by three the same number of degrees as the as the square one. And just if ignore a, the slash or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you're not gonna have a slash and a. Oh, well, I guess you can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> If if you have a slash, uh, use a saw to modify your three by three. I mean, that's using a saw kind of now breaks like the whole regulation <laughs> being able to apply three by three. So I think you goofed. Use a saw and then do whatever you feel is right with the saw. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's super weird though, right? Because like every other puzzle, you could talk about how many moves away it is from being solved. Square mm-hmm. one is the one that you can't do that. Well, I just feel like our definition of a move for square one is really arbitrary. I feel like a more clear definition of a move and more intuitive is just like every turn of a face or a slash is one move. Right, but when you when we talk about how many the problem is that we in square one define how many moves the scramble I think has to be right, and there it talks about moves in terms of the uh, each slice and up down adjustment being a move. Yeah, so so no matter what, we I, have I just two feel like definitions of a move. Yeah, but I would just not call that move. I would like call that something else special for like the purpose of defining how to scramble it. But leave a yeah, move. Yeah, but at the same as... time, square one's the only one that breaks this rule. So I think isn't it cleaner to just have a square one exception in the regulations? That's true. Yeah, that is that is cleaner. But I think it's more intuitive to just define it as a move, and define moves in the intuitive way, which is like what you can do with one turn of your wrist. Right. I guess. I guess. Yeah. There needs to be like a idea of what is a move in the context of scrambling, and what is a move in the context of the solved puzzle. Yeah, so in, in, like, I would call it, like, a scramble unit. <laughs> scramble unit? <laughs> yeah. Square one oh, that's, that's, scrambles must be... That definitely makes be, the regulations more readable. Must be 12 scramble units long, or whatever the number is. <laughs> oh, gross. Get out of here. <laughs> well. That was if, a podcast. Yeah, feel free to leave a <laughs> comment unit on the subreddit. Um, the sub the subreddit unit yes the subreddit unit of of uh, what, what the inter unit <laughs> of the inter unit and all That's the size right. of this lad um well increase the date happy increasing the date by one year unit um We'll see you at the next pod unit. (laughs) Okay, okay, bye. Bye, unit. Boon it. (laughs) Boon <laughs> it.
<laughs> Bunny. <laughs> this actually reminds me of um, whenever um, so like there's like these like R functions that like compound like a letter with a name. Uh-huh. And I remember them always, um, like, they always used the uniform distribution as just a way to generate random numbers. Mm-hmm. So, they, But when you combined the letter with unif um, for uniform, <laughs> it looked like runif. Yeah. <laughs> Have I talked about this before? No, but it's very familiar sounding because, like, <laughs> I do stuff like that in, like, like, I took, like, a Java class last semester. And it's like, I would always think of things like that as one word. Well, so I didn't realize that it was runif. It just looked like run if to me. And I'm like, why does (laughs) run if generate random numbers? That makes no sense. (laughs) It's, it's, it's like, it's like your podcast or podcast. Jeez. Your program is telling you to run if something happens. It's like, if this number is between zero and 10 you need to run because you're gonna die right but all it did was generate numbers that's all it did (laughs) it's like lucky numbers but they're unlucky numbers if you see the number 12 run but it runs every time no matter what (laughs) there's no if it just runs (laughs) it generates the numbers it's a random number generator why is it run if (laughs) 